This is part two of an audio conversation with Joe. This is part two of an audio conversation with Joe Montaldo, which was recorded on Saturday, June fourth, two thousand and eleven. If you listen to part one, uh, get ready. Here's more of the same. Uh, we go at it fast and furious. Uh, this whole thing clocks in uh, collectively when you add part one and two together at just a little bit under three hours. Uh, which is long, and a lot of the information is good. And I will also say I got a thousand questions I still want to ask the guy. So someday I'll have him on a follow-up interview. Uh, but until then, here's part two. Please enjoy. Hey, um, mm. let me let me tell you a story about a little thing. Just like I, I just want to get your insights into this, and I'm going to share mm-hmm. some things. And, and um, you know, because part of this whole thing for me has been. Uh, and I, and, I, and I told you this a little bit on the phone when we talked before, mm. is, uh, is therapy. I mean, I, as silly as yeah. it sounds, like, you know, I, I, I'm doing this for selfish reasons, these interviews, my blog, and stuff like that. I'm trying to, you know, make sense of my own set of weirdness. One of the things that's happened to me, and it happened almost immediately after starting the blog, which is, went back to February of 2009, is I have been interacting with and meeting people who are... I'm going to say, you know, within a year of my birthday, you know, so body, you know, mm-hmm. so people born basically in 1961, 62, or 63. Yeah. Uh, 21B. Pardon? Oh, yeah, so that's that, the, the census. Yeah, it, it feels like, you know, like we're, we're like. Well, that's know, what it is. And what do you mean by that? Well, we've determined because of the different contactees we have, you know, not all contactees fit in the same categories. And, and they have different habits and, and they're different type of creatures. And what we realized this is like lot A1, lot A2, lot A3. Now, there's a couple things that go on here that because at first we thought it was strictly age, all right? So age now, meaning like people born in a specific year. Yeah, business born in a specific time. We really initially thought it was just specific age, but then we found that that's not quite true. Usually the lots are related by age within anywhere from three to five years. But we've also found that types of personality – uh, also dictate what goes into these core groups, which I found really interesting. So, so let's say you're like lot one A one, which I would be, and several other people we know would be. Okay, but let's say that lot A one A is also related to lot A one A A B, meaning that these are like kids or grandkids from some of the other people from that lot one A. So they do fit into our core group because personality-wise, goal-wise, drive-wise, that's what group they're part of. Um, and that's thanks to the personality test and some other questions that we ask on the um, abduction questionnaire uh, is how we figured that out. Uh, it's a really weird thing, but they do fit into these groups. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a couple of differently distinctive groups. Uh, that's why we say there's more than one core group because, uh, you know, this core group is, is uh, kind of aggressive in the fact that what they want to know, they're more willing to – do what it takes to get it out or do what it takes to get the information to them or do what it takes to get what they're looking for done, whatever. They just seem to be more aggressive in that fact. So, here, so here's uh, something I've noticed in this, in the people that are very close to my own age. Most of them, not, you know, well, I'll say most of them. Yeah. Most of them have, will be blogging, mm-hmm. podcasting, writing a book or doing a documentary. That's because it's part of that communication group. Okay. Uh, it's, but I mean that that's common though. I mean people really don't realize it because they're not they're not looking at what's going on. But if you really look at the internet and see 
how many contactees or how many abductees or, or how many of experiencers are out there blogging and podcasting, you're going to be amazed. It's that's I mean, actually shocking. Half a blog talk is, is that, you know, so to the hell. It's it's it is it's amazing. And now here here's another thing that's shown up in the in the data as far as my own. I mean this is all anecdotal. Like you know I have not done a study. I've just kind of like kept some notes and and made a list of some folks and depression, yeah. a history of depression in their lives. Darius, um, Darius. What'll happen is is okay. This is really important too. If you come from a family, a psychic family or a family that knows about this or or, or an experiencer family, there's going to be no depression. Because what happens is, is you're raised knowing. See, like in my family, I came from a bunch of psychics. This was just normal, everyday shit to me. Even though we were Catholics, uh, everybody in the family was very psychic, very clairvoyant. I mean, everybody, it didn't matter who was in my house. If somebody knocked on the front door, the whole house would say, know who it was. The phone rang, everybody knew who the hell it was. Knew about stuff coming, going. Uh, so for us, it was normal. So for me, coming into these processes, it wasn't as depressing or overwhelming as it would be for other people. But by saying that, and this is important, people without the support suffer a lot of depression because for them, it's more like, how can I say it? It's more like, what in the fuck is going on? Am I really losing my mind? Is this really going on? Why is there this weird drive, these weird feelings I have? It's just a lot to cope with. And if you don't have any, that's why so many of them start blogging and posting and shit. It's stress relief. It's a form of therapy. Uh, it's, it's the way to get this out, to relieve some of these feelings. You contact these, and this is important. This is one of the reasons I, I call exists is to make contact. These understand that you have to share. If you don't share, it's going to make you crazy. You have to share. Now, you now I'm going to jump in here and, and, uh, I met with Bud Hopkins, David Jacobs, and Leo Sprinkle. You know, I would share my experiences and talk about my stuff. And one of the things I'm very straightforward with is that I have had a history of depression. And it showed up most profoundly in my life right when I was about 30. And between 30 and 40 were pretty rough. Yeah, and the and, start of the awakening, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I mean, but this is, there's other people have, you know, depression. And it was yeah. treated uh, with, uh, you know, I took Prozac for a while. And I found that a very effective way to um, to make efforts to, to deal with my own set of depressive episodes but um in uh, all three of them um and i and i'll include and i've talked with barbara lamb about this too when i said you know i've had a history of depression they just nodded and just and you could see there was kind of a knowing kind of like yep okay heard that one before and in a way and i'm very cautious to say this but uh and i'm gonna be saying this is more talking to bud maybe but it seems like that saying that you're depressed is right at about a a hundred percent of the people that he's been dealing with will say that they've had that in their history. Well, for Bud, it's probably true. I mean, first off, he's got a very small contactee group, but more importantly, they all know each other, uh, which means they were probably all part of the same live group, probably had the same kind of back support. You know, like I said, I'm friends with a lot of them, and uh, they did not have any support coming through this. And then some of them had Milab stuff on top of abduction stuff. So yeah, there's a lot of depression there. And Bud has a good reputation for dealing with that, in all fairness to him. So a lot of his cases are going to probably lean more towards that. Ours are very mixed. Uh, we've get, we get people that are very depressed. You gotta be, you'll be amazed at how many people are very happy about this. And no, no, I'm not amazed at all. I've talked to a lot of people who are very yeah, happy so, about this. And then, then there's the whole realm in between, too. I mean, you know, there's, there's all everything in between, but it's just part of what goes on. But in Bud's case, yeah, he probably does get more of the depression, and he's helped a lot of them. He's okay. been very, yeah, very supportive guy. And, um, and, 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 you know, a lot of his contactees came over to us, and part of my own personal style comes from that, 
from dealing with Bud's contactees because it showed me early on, him and Walt Anders actually, showed me early on that there's a particular way that you need to communicate with people that have had experiences. Uh, you don't need to be condescending. You don't need to be looking your nose down. I mean, you don't need to be accepting everything they say either because you don't want to set that precedent. But you, you want them to know that they're talking to somebody they can trust that is there for them. There's no alternative agenda. You know, we're not trying to make a book on you. We're not trying to make any money on you. We're really there just to help you. And, and that's the sense you get from Bud. And what my uh, oldest stepdaughter dealt with Bud. Uh, she was one of, the, one of his first cases. So um, it's, it's, you know, we've had a personal relationship for him for quite some time throughout, you know, sharing contactees and other research. And uh, so, you know, he's going to get those kind. David... David, I don't know what David gets. I, I, I'm going to be truthful about this, and I'm going to probably catch all kind of flack for saying this. And I may uh, have it out if it's... Well, it's, yeah, that's true. Well, it's not going to be mean-spirited. It, the thing about it is, is about half of the contactees I've met from him, I call were not considered to be contactees. We wouldn't take the case. We've had several of his contactees contact us. We wouldn't take the case. Some of them we have. Now, there's two or three of them that we have, but uh, several we would not because they simply did not follow abduction criteria for the organization and now, it's not that we'll just you out. so so you're yeah. turning down cases that don't fit the the criteria now could you be turning down cases that are very real um that just simply are are sort of outliers or they are part of a different strata of the of the entire grand picture of the abduction experience well we took that in consideration but since we also do voice stress and facial recognition it's highly unlikely that we're going to miss something along those lines in this case, what it really came down to is they're saying they're having contact with Grays. Okay, we really do understand how the Grays make contact. It's really it's not so much of an if and and but for us as it's more fact for the organization. Uh, we've got too many Gray contactees to really be guesstimating what's going on. It's it's too cross the board and too even what goes on for someone to stand out that far. It, it just doesn't happen. And usually when someone does stand out that far, when you do voice stress them or polygraph and you find out they're lying. Uh, that's, and that's not uncommon in the field. And it's not uncommon for a researcher to get the, the whirlpool over their eyes. It's one of the reasons I established abduction criteria. It's one of the reasons MUFONs follow in sync with us uh, is because you have to have a baseline. Not everybody's telling the truth and not every story is legit and not everything that everyone's remembering is correct. And so the only way to really get to the truth is to keep interviewing contactee after contactee after contactee after contactee. And it's important because there are cases that we will set aside, meaning that they don't fit the abduction criteria, but there is something to the case, like Charles Hall. Okay? Charles Hall does not fit any known abduction criteria inside the ICAR organization, but... And he's the guy that claims to have seen the, the tall white people the tall in Las Vegas. Yeah. Now, when I first, and Charles and I are personal friends, um, when I first met him, I told him I thought maybe he had been government compromised. But two weeks after I did the first interview with him, I get a phone call from a gentleman out of Las Vegas, state trooper, 22-year veteran state trooper, says he was at the casino when they came in. Two days after that, another state trooper calls me, a friend of his, saying he was at the casino. Now, were you putting the call out for this kind of stuff, or did this just, just arrive, you know, I did the interview. Well, I did the interview with Charles, and I said, you know, if anybody else has any pertinent, like I always do, if anybody's got any pertinent information or, or anything they would like oh, to share. okay, so the interview was published on the air. and It was on the air, and, um, and it was I had been archived for about a week, I guess, at the time. And we got those two calls, and then two weeks after that, I get a taxi, drab, taxi cab driver that calls me and said, oh, no. 
I'm the guy who brought him from um, Area 53 at the front of the base to the casino. And then he had two additional cab drivers, one that drove him back and one that drove him around Vegas. And, and Area 53, do you mean Area 51 or? Oh, Area 53. Okay, it's a different okay. area out there. Yeah, it's, it's actually Area 53. Okay, That's actually where Charles Halls was stationed at, was at Area 53. That's where the meteorological, that's what he did for the, the military. That's where it was done at, in Area 53, which is two sectors over from Area 51, basically. It's all part of the same big area, but they got it broke down, Area 51, 52, 53, 54, and, and so on. But he describes seeing ships coming out the side of mountains down there now. For that, we've got authentication, or not authentication, but we've got other witnesses uh, that have seen ships in that area coming out of mountains. So he said he's seen it first, and then people came in and corroborated the story, seeing they said the same thing. And there was also earlier stories from the 40s and 50s of saucers being seen coming out of these areas. So, so there's that, too, but so, still. So the assumption, okay, okay, let's but, keep going. But still, his case does not fit with any of the other cases. So we had to take it off and put it on the side and say, okay, are these tall whites, the tall white grays that everybody talks about, or is this truly a different species that are just hanging out? Um, and that's what we were trying to find out. Was this actually a gray colony on the planet, or was this really another species? And that's where we are right now. We're still working on that. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know. Uh, it's, for us, there's six type of aliens, and we count that as one. Uh, we don't believe the 56 types. So there's no evidence for that. There's no proof for that. Uh, and you can't believe anybody who says, oh, the government says there's 56 Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, for obvious no, reasons, yeah. They're, 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 uh, they're pros at lying. Yeah, but more importantly than that, and let's look at it from a different point of view. When you start naming craft, all right, people will say, well, we've seen the saucer. We've seen the triangle. We've seen the elongated saucer. We've seen the, the cylinder thing. And then there's an assortment of orbs and these little teardrop crafts and these little egg-shaped craft. But that's really it. So, but those crafts individually can, like, I mean, a saucer-shaped craft can take on any a number of saucer shapes. Yeah, but, but the thing of it is, is we know that the saucers belong to the greys. We know that. Everybody who's ever been abducted says they're on board a saucer. So there's not even anything about the elongated, the elongated saucers that looks like there's a saucer that you grabbed and stretched outward. They say that's what the reptilians' craft look like. They say the humans use the big triangles. The teardrop and egg shapes are, are like landing craft or probes. Uh, all the orbs, the, all the different size orbs, they consider just to be different types of probes. That's why they're different colors and different sizes because they're doing different things. But basically, that's what you've got. You've got, and then you've got varieties of those craft being smaller and bigger. Like there's a, a th this was a weird thing, and this came out of California the very first time I heard this. They kept describing this tube thing, and sometimes it would have one hump. Sometimes it would have four humps on top, three humps on bottom. Sometimes it would have ten humps, five on top, five. And I'm thinking, what? And then sometimes it would have none. I'm like, what the hell is this? Well, a guy got a videotape one day that we got to see, and you know what it was? The mothership for the, the greys are shaped like that. And when the saucers land on them, it creates humps on the ship. So sometimes if there's two parked, it looks like that. If there's ten parked, it looks like it's a weird little thing. And that ship actually will fit into a bigger one. Uh, it's kind of squarish looking. Uh, it's kind of weird looking, actually, but... Uh, and this is all from abduction reports. I mean, now, I and this is the stuff that, that that I'm fascinated by this data, and and um, makes you crazy and, at the same time. It yeah, makes me yeah. very crazy listening to this crazy. because I, I want a little bit more verification, and I and I'm just I'm just gonna say I'm skeptical. And, you should um, be. And uh, though, 
you know, I'm skeptical in the sense that I'm very, you know, like how to say it. Do you know, like, you know, anthropomorphizing? You know, like, yeah. If, well, if, yeah, if, no, if but give, you like, should the, be skeptical. I, it, it, people, some, a guy the other day said, oh, you're going to get mad because I'm skeptical. No, I'm not. I said, I want you to go out there and either prove me wrong or prove me right. I said, that's what I'm here for. I said, I'll give you everything I know and how we got this information and how we found out about it. And then I want you to go out there and prove me wrong or prove me right. If you prove me wrong, I'll get on the air and say, well, you know what? Such and such came. Mike said he found this new information, and that's not what this is. It's this. And if it's convincing, I'll be the one that goes and corrects it because I don't have a problem with that. But if, if you go and find out we're verified, then we'll say, well, no, another independent researcher just verified what we said, and which is lots of these days by, by the fact that it verified, like Alfred Weber and Stala, verify a lot of what we've said, and along with Yvonne Smith and Mary Rodwell and even Daryl Sims. We want that. I, I, I don't want anyone to believe – this is really important, Mike, and I know it's hard because I, I speak fast sometimes, and I, and I do speak absolutes, which makes yeah, you, people – Yeah, you, you, which is interesting, and, and it makes it tough and, sometimes. And it does, but I want people to challenge. It's a whole idea. I say this on my show every week. Do your own homework. Do not believe me. Go out, listen to what Joe's saying, and go out and do the research. I want people – it's more important for me to see you out there doing your own research than it is to be believing what I'm saying because, frankly – when you're doing this research, it's going to be much more convincing to you when you're finding it out yourself. You're going to be like, well, shit, Joe said that. Now I'm looking at this going, oh, my God. And, uh, and it's much more convincing to you that way because now you've seen it for yourself and you've got a, a researcher with an organization behind him saying it as well. So you know now. It's, it's not a doubt in your head anymore. It's not I believe. It's I know. And that's much more important to me because if you're out there speaking like I am because you know that's another person that's projecting this out as, look, we're telling you the truth. Know what's going on in your life. Understand there's help for you. Get involved. Uh, and that's what this is about. So it's, it's tough. And, and it's tough. And, but for me, I've been doing it 30 years. So for me, it is fact. You know, for y'all, it's not, and it's. It, and sometimes I have to remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like I've been immersed in this. I mean, I've been reading compulsively about the subject for twenty years, and then it yeah. feels like I've been. I don't know what my research is. You know, I'm very cautious to but, say it's research because I feel like I'm researching myself. Well, you are researching yourself, but by researching yourself, you're learning about other contexts. You can't. All right, let's let's look at this in re reality. You cannot research yourself without looking at other contactees. You've got to find out what other people are doing to know if there's any relation to what's going on in your own personal life. So by doing that, yes, you are researching other people to understand yourself. While you're doing that, almost all contactees will share what they're learning. And a lot of contactees will tell you, I'm only learning. I don't know if, how correct this is or not. But they will share it, which is also very important. And granted, yes, you're going to make mistakes. I've made bundles over the years. I've corrected myself on the air at least a dozen times in the last 10 years. Uh, and I have no qualms with doing it. There's, there's, here's, here's a classic one. For eight, 10 years, I used to, every day I'd tell people, look, it's a third, a third, and a third. A third reptilian abductions, a third human abduction, and a third gray abductions. And as far as I could see, that's what it was. Well, not until just recently, until we did this new study, did we learn that that is not true. It is about 65% gray, and you can split the reptilians and the, and the humans with the rest of the abductees. So that was an eye-opening experience for me, and I was the one that came on the air and said, look, this is what we used to think, and this is why we no longer think that, because the new studies on the blood type studies, the gray study and the personality study and the reptilian study suggest that the grays are, to put it in, in, in perspective, for every one reptilian report we've gotten in this program we're doing right now, we've gotten 10 gray responses. 
You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you can see the vast difference in contactees. Now, granted, maybe not all the reptilians are coming forward, but by or saying, that the reptilians the, are using a, a stronger sense of keeping a secret, or yeah. yeah. So you have to take this with circumspect, but when you really get down to it, because it, it happens to follow the same way out for the humans, and since the grace technology is more advanced than the other two, uh, it's a pretty good odds that, yes, this is exactly what's going on. They're, they're, besides just that, and this is kind of a strange but important thing, um, when mill labs are going on a lot of times and there's other aliens present, people will tell you, even the little three-foot grays, if there's a human around or a reptilian around, they will give way to him. They will bow and move back from him. So this little three-foot gray, these big six- and seven- and eight-foot reptilians and humans are scared shitless of. And he's not even the big gray. They say a lot of times when the uh, six- and seven-foot grays comes, they won't even allow other than the contact he's present. Uh, uh, so they are really more like the, the, the guys that are running the show and allowing these other two races to intervene or get involved. And I think that's because originally... This all started over uh, the reptilians and the humans getting into this little tiff about this interbreeding thing back with the Sumerians, and then the greys had to get involved. Uh, that's probably what it's related over, and it's probably why they oversee what's going on. But I've had at least at least two or three hundred contactees tell me any time a grey is present, the other two aliens will give way, uh, and the military won't even come around them. They'll they'll leave the room when the greys are present. Uh, so it tells you right there that the greys probably do not mess around. Uh, when they're doing whatever it is they're doing, so it's 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 observation is what it is. It's interesting observation, but since the technology to describe, you know, when people describe reptilian technology or human type technology, it's more of a physical technology. There's buttons and whistles and bells and screens and stuff like that, and the greatest technology isn't like that. So, yeah, on an order of magnitude, they're probably double or triple. And then then if you get into just all the skeptical stuff and all the hearsay stuff. Uh, a lot of the contactees say that the greys work for the light beings. They're, they're the universal policemen, for lack of a better term. Uh, they were created and designed. Actually, they were a race that was taken and then re-engineered uh, by the light beings to be used as like the peacekeepers of the galaxy. And when you say light beings? Light beings are the most interesting ones to me. One, there's hardly no proof about them. Uh, and they talk about them like they're gods. I mean, they supposedly, and I say supposedly, they can travel... Through time and space with no craft, they can take any physical form they want. They can manifest any physical thing they want. They can even change time and space or even change the surroundings of a planet at will. They sound like a cue to me is what they sound like. Um, so to put it into perspective of sci-fi, that's what they sound like to me. They're omnipotent and pretty much can do whatever the hell they want without any recourse anywhere. And it doesn't look like anything even affects them. In modern terms, or even in ancient terms, we would have to consider them to be gods. I was going to say, I was gonna, yeah, yeah, this is your because. Time. Yeah, because of our limited understanding of the universe, that's how we would have to perceive them. But the greys are very to the point, and so are the other aliens about, no, they're aliens. They're not gods. They're aliens, just, just more advanced aliens, but aliens. And then there's the whole thing about the council and all of them sitting on the council and all the other stuff that goes on that and the water planet and the, uh, the, the off-world colonies. And, you know, all that stuff is great, Mike, and I love hearing about it, and I do document all of it because there's so much of it. Uh, he, like this, I've literally had four or five hundred people tell me about an off-world colony. This is what's weird about it. It's not so much it's an off-world colony. They say the colony is probably around two Gs. Uh, it has one central mass of water. Two that Gs meaning two, like for gravity? 
for gravity. Yeah, it's about 2G world. Uh, the, the center of the world is uh, all water. There's no landmass. There's two pieces of landmass, top and bottom. as two poles, and then the center of the whole planet is water. Uh, and then there's like lakes and stuff going in, but that's the mass, of, and that's the way the planet looks when you approach it from space. They say there's a big human colony there that's part of those host bodies that the grave uh, contactees talk about and other alien races. All interliving and all being, and from what they say, the colony is quite old. It's it's not like it was started a hundred years ago. It's a ten or fifteen thousand year old colony. Uh, so they've been taking humans there for that long. Uh, so and and that takes us to the thing about why are there so many UFOs sighted over hospitals and uh, morgues? You got to wonder. I mean, literally, like a third of the reports that come in are near hospitals and morgues. You're kidding. No, see, that's a, that's uh-uh. a big little piece of data I've never heard before. Yeah. Well, you know where we got that from? You database, Larry Hatch. Larry Hatch, until he took his database down, had the most best phenomenal database there ever was. It went back 50 years, and you could actually overlay decade to decade. You could even see the progression. Like in the United States, it started the East Coast, and you could watch an abduction overnight because like, he had it in days. And you could see the mass of sightings going across the top of the country over a week's period of time. Before that, and since then, there's nothing ever been done like this. I, I was so disappointed to see him take this site down. Uh, but by having it up there, he had all the sightings up to about 2002 in it. And uh, by going through it, there were several things that we figured out, actually. Uh, it, was, it was just an overwhelming amount of database. But when you have that kind of data, it's easier to come to conclusions. You know, you can see patterns in what goes on. Uh, like in the 40s and 50s and 60s, you didn't see hardly any blips in Russia or China. But then after like 19, well, after the fall came down, Russia just became a mass of UFO sightings. Now, obviously, those UFO country. sightings were taking place at the time, but yeah, they, they, they just, just simply, there was no, no reporting system in place. Yeah. Hey, so, here, here, um, okay. so you talked about a blood type study, and I'm going to jump ahead, and you also talked about a personality study. I've heard mm-hmm. very little of that personality study. I'm curious what came up. Uh, it's been interesting. It's posted to the ICAR website. I usually let November talk about that because she's more versed oh, in it. Oh, okay. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll let her talk about and, it. Yeah, yeah, invite her on. And, um, yeah, because um, I usually do because she's much more versed in it. She did all the all the leg work on all the original ground. Well, what came she, up? Did she, he, any big uh, Oh, man, yeah. There's, there's lots of stuff. Like uh, there's different – the way the personalities separate out, the way things work, the way the, way the personality correlates to blood types, things like that. Uh, all of this was very interesting. Now, that's part one of the study. Part two is going to be only a contactee personality study. This okay, was here, let's, overall let's define so contactee study. versus abductee, and how do you define the two? Well, for me, it's, it's, it's simple. Abductees are, are being abducted and really don't know they're being taken. Contactees know they're being taken. Now, my British friends do not agree with that, by the way. They get very mad at me. They say they're an abductee because they're always being taken against the will. Even though they know they're being taken, they're still just an abductee, which is true. It really is a true statement. But for me, I have to distinguish. I have to distinguish between the people who know and the people who don't know. And the best way for me to do that is to say abductees are people who are being abducted and are, are just starting to realize they're being abducted. You know, they're like something's going on in my life. Contactees are the person that knows I'm being contacted. Whether I like it or not, I am being contacted and I am being taken. And it is part of what goes on. And once they start speaking about it anyway, you're pretty much a contactee whether you want to admit it or not. Because uh, in some shape or form or fashion, you're serving their purpose anyway. So, yes, you are a contactee. But, so I separate them that way. For me, it's abductees, contactees, and keepers. And what and about keepers. experiencers? Well, experiencers are just experiences. Experience, that's a bad, 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 naughty word. Because experiences can be anything. You could be the guy who's seen the ghost in the corner, the dude who's seen the vampire, the guy that's seen the big tornado that swept around him. That's an experiencer. You know, so you have to be careful with that. I never did like that word because it represents too many different things. 
uh, it's it's simply it could be anything when you say experiencer. I mean, that's the, the that term was actually developed by ghost researchers back 15 years ago, uh, and then the new ages picked it up and brought it into ufology. It's it just it's a bad bad term. <laughs> well, I mean, just okay. Yeah, just, no. So it, I struggle for a term because I, I don't like yeah, any of them. Well, so I that's another for, problem. The one term that I use is people who claim the direct contact experience, yeah. which is a long, long gobbledygook sentence. Well, we've been bitching about this for 10 years, Mike. We've got two dozen people looking at this all the time. And if you ever get any terms, send them to us because we are looking for eight or nine new terms. Milab is not a correct term for that. It's not a military abduction. That's not what's going on. These people are not U.S. military. They do not work for the U.S. government. Uh, there's much more going on there, and there's much different, more fast group of people involved in that than just the military. Uh, so that's a bad, bad term. Melinda Leslie's uh, rehabs is better because that's what they are really doing. They're re-abducting contactees to be messed with, but that still refers to a military abduction. Uh, we really need something there that suggests something a little bit different. Abducting is okay, but there needs to be some 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 other terms that go along with it, just like contactee. Contactee is too broad, too sweeping. Okay, yep. uh, it, it's it, it contactee needs to be more defined, uh, and there needs to be other varieties in there. Something like there really needs to be something between abductee and contactee. There really does need, and there needs to be something between. Uh, contactee and keeper, and there needs to be something actually after the keeper, like the communicator, even after that. And so, do you have like a chart, like on your site? Because I've searched. I haven't on your put site, one like up. A- uh, I haven't put one up. You know, it's it's part of the, what we were talking about on the new remodel. Uh, we were really you should send that in as a suggestion, by the way. Um, but it is something we have been discussing. Some type of maybe a chart there that actually shows the types and why we think they're the types. Uh, it's harder on us because we do so much audio. Uh, and a lot of this stuff is already made available in audio files. But I have to remember, too, that only half of the people who visit us are listening to the audio. The other half are just perusing the sites. And so that's, that's one of the reasons the sites are getting remodeled um, is because of that. Um, about half the people will come to the station and listen to myself or one of the other directors or one of the other researchers speak. But still, judging from the site numbers, about half of them aren't making it to the stations or to the archives. Uh, so they're going through the sites. Now the site does well every day. I mean, it gets lots of hits every day. All three of them do. But I would, I would like to see, and also in the Milab area and in the blood type areas, we're going to try to change some of that, right? With we actually on the blood type study, we're actually thinking about using charts or graphs on there versus the percentage numbers. Yeah, which it, I would it, think it, would be great. Well, Just I think some it visual would be people. Yeah, people are visual. Yeah. So, and then we could always put the numbers underneath them because that's all going to be updated in two weeks anyway because those have changed. They've actually grown some. So um, that's that's all going to be. So stuff like that we're looking to do. We're looking to change like the overall color and appearance of the site, uh, make it a little bit more 56K friendly uh, and also a little bit more high bandwidth friendly because I would like to offer a section. Right now I've got my iCard directors. I want each one of them to do a video. Uh, it doesn't have to be a long one, 10, 15, 20 minutes, about why they're with us, what they're doing, what they're working on currently, and what kind of research you can expect from them and what they hope to be coming out in the future and I'd like it posted each one of their state directors pages you know posted that way so people can kind of get to know who they are get a feel about who they're going to be dealing with because our biggest problem is right now half the contactees or more that write in only want to deal with me and that's impossible yeah you know it, that's impossible and I do understand why but that's impossible and then I'm so strict about what I'll let contactees tell me especially if they're female without someone else present that it makes it hard. Just because there's such a 
potential like sexual stories that are going to yeah I, well because sex is going to be discussed and there's going to be detailed stuff discussed in this and i just don't feel comfortable i would just rather a female be in there that way it's not like i'm trying to take advantage or they're trying to take advantage it's actually being researched because unfortunately this is going to come up there are rape cases in the reptilians and there are sex cases with the humans and there are you know other types of sex things between contactees on board stuff and stuff ships and stuff and there Which are I've heard many of those stories yeah and there are also sexual experience being done so this stuff is going to come up in the research and you can't shy away from it because it is a part of the research but by saying that you do need to be cautious and you do need to be the point like if it's as a woman talking to a male contactee he she should bring in another guy i, I know the guy's not going to feel as comfortable talking about it but they're going to have to and it's same thing with the female. She might not feel as comfortable talking to a female about it, but they're going to have to because they've got to understand we have to protect ourselves. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate because especially after this Emma Wood and David Jacobs thing, you really do have to protect yourself in the field. Uh, because if you, you know, I'd hate to make a mistake like that and blow 20 years of iCar research out the window because I made a stupid mistake like that. Uh, you know, making a mistake where I made a misdiagnose something, that's one thing, but no. So it's just safer that way. It's a better way of doing business. Hey, here's a question. Um, and this is, goes back to some of my personal experiences. In one of your forms, one of your online questionnaires, you talk about streetlights. You ask a question about streetlights. Yeah, because let me ask you this, Mike. When you're driving down the highway, do streetlights go on and off? No, but I have had some very interesting streetlight experiences. Well, a lot for a lot of contactees, this goes back to screwing with electrical. I don't know what this is. Um, for a lot of contactees, they'll be driving along. The light will go off in front of them and then come on them when they go past it. And I've heard that, and that that I've had. And that, that I've had it happen to me so many times that I, it just weirds me out. Um, and it's not just that; all kind of electronics. I actually have to dumb myself down if um, if I want to get and start doing a lot of computer work because you know there's eight computers sitting next to me right now. And if I don't, it, it like if I know I've had a contact, I won't even go around my electronics in my house. I have blown more computers for getting up in the morning and forgetting that I'd been taken than anything else. And, and I know a lot of people, and I'll include Whitley Strieber, who has talked about this, um, yep. and then, that basically say they can't wear a watch. No, my watch is, I go, I've tried battery, connect, right now i got a kinetic watch on it, works sometimes, sometimes it's like, so I, I was going to have it fixed, and the guy said, ain't nothing wrong with it. It's the, the electric fields in our body get jumbled when we're being taken. Now here, let me, let, problems. Okay. let me share a couple, like I'll share a couple um, streetlight experiences that I've had. So one streetlight experience, I was... Uh, Riding my bike down the street, it was a real pretty neighborhood I was in, street lights, you know, every every block or so, and I thought to myself, huh, you know, I haven't had an experience in a while. And then exactly at that second of having that thought, boom, the street light went off. Now, see, that, that, that could be directly interference from what you're thinking, or that could be them also, because sometimes you sense when they're approaching, uh, and it could also be from them coming up. So Okay, here, I'll tell uh, another one. Okay. Um... I was, uh, uh, we had, I had been out to dinner, I was with a friend of mine, and the person we were having dinner with had had a profound set of experiences, really, really scary stories, quite dramatic and quite hard to believe stories. And so me and my friend, and she also has a very profound, um, you know, what, what would be con contact experience throughout her life. You know, we're walking down the street. It's nighttime after having left the restaurant and said goodbye to our other friend who had the scary stories. We walk along. We're under the streetlight. I turn to my friend and I say, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to make of this. You know, it's too profound. And I don't know how I'm supposed to integrate this into my life. At that moment, the streetlight goes off. And it felt like it was punctuating the thought. 
Well, yeah, that that that's just common though. That see, see, that's what we talk about when we talk about keywording. We're looking for stuff that other contactees say on a regular basis. Uh, that's what we're looking for. That's keywords for us. Common stuff that happens between all the contactees. So, like you're talking, 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 and I'm listening to you. I'm going, well, I've heard that five, ten thousand times and literally you know a few hundred but the thing of it is uh it's it's a very strange thing the way that happens and the way contactees jump jump oh it also reminds me something else when i was reading through your stuff earlier i wanted to go back on this 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 is uh there was some descriptions you were given i was reading through that got me to thinking about something because most contactees miss this for some reason they always think they're being taken by a ship but that's not always true a lot of times when you're seeing a glowing light uh it's a portal they have the ability to open portals between places. So a lot of times when you're passing through the wall, that's why you'll pass through the wall and you'll be somewhere else. Well, people make the assumption it's a ship, but it's not always a ship. Sometimes it's a different location or a different base or a different facility, but it's not always a ship. Uh, and I and contactees really miss this. It's they, they have the ability, uh, you can call it warp in time and space, whatever you want to call it, but they have the ability to do it. And the grays figured us out which i thought was interesting icard changed this about the way about a couple of decades about a decade and a half back we realized that um missing time cases were getting fewer and fewer and fewer and then we started having things where people were gaining time or weren't missing in the time but were having all kind of weird stuff happen to them uh and it's like the thing when we were talking about the the, the guy and the girl with the hair on them earlier um we realized that the grays now had started taking people, well, basically they were taking them out of time, doing whatever they were doing and then putting them back. So in instance, you know, Joe is driving down the road, he's plucked out of the car, has a, has a profound uh, experience, and he's popped right back into the car at the same point on the road. Or, or, or a little bit early. Well, to put it, I'll give you two cases. These, these are two right off the bat. One of them, lady drives to work every morning. She, she stops by this hot dog stand every morning and gets this nasty hot dog. She cracked me up when she told me about this hot dog she gets for breakfast every morning, right? And this thing's particularly nasty. So anyway, make a long story short, uh, she drives to work one morning. She, she remembers stopping to get in her hot dog. Oh, but wait a minute. The hot dog stand had been turned, tore down a week earlier. So how in the hell that morning did she stop and get a hot dog, Mike? Well, she didn't. They had taken her, but that was the memory they looped back. That's another thing that Gray's and even the reptilians and humans started doing. Instead of creating memories, they started looping memories. And is that because the, the just the term missing time had become such an integral to our pop culture? It had. It, they, they adjusted to us. It was the first known time that the aliens actually reacted something to what the researchers were doing, uh, which I found that to be in itself interesting, to say the least. Uh, but they reacted to it because before that they were just taking people and we would have missing time and they would put them back. And then all of a sudden that changed. Uh, they said, oh, no, they made it way harder for most researchers to find cases. We're probably missing a lot more cases now because of this. Because because, because like 15 years ago, you could have just simply asked, you know, did you experience missing time? Yeah. And someone would say, well, actually, yes, I did. Well, even more importantly than that, they used to just use cover memories like deers and owls and stuff like that. Now they're using your own memories. So if there's not a mistake in the memory, you're not going to know. You're just not going to know. As far as you're going to concern, nothing happened. Like here's the other case, right? This is a really good example. Uh, couples at the hotel, right? They, they got them on video leaving the hotel at 11 o'clock. Uh, five minutes to 11, actually. They go down to the 7-Eleven convenience store where they get a Coke and some stuff. It's shift change, 11 o'clock, straight up there in the middle of shift change. People remember seeing them there. It's 11 o'clock. They drive down the Gulf Breeze on Navarre Beach, and they park, right? 
park their car. They get out of the car. They go walk behind the sand dunes. They hang out. They see this weird craft thing. But anyway, we're not even going to talk about that. Um, they get back in the car later on. They're driving back to the hotel. They find a parking ticket inside the car. Now, the car was locked. But the parking ticket's inside the car. Not only inside the car, it's between the seats, tucked in like next to the shifter. So they're kind of like, what the hell? Well, the parking ticket says 10 minutes to 10. Now, the cops got them on the camera at 10 minutes to 10. The dispatch has the cop at location at 10 minutes to 10. At 10 minutes to 10, that car was still in the parking lot. At the hotel. So no, so so did the cop like actually interact with them? Did the cop say like you know roll your window down, sir? And the guy rolled no, the window down. They were they weren't there. The cop said they had never seen him. There was no one present when the cop rolled up. He said he even walked out on the beach to come tell them to move the car, and there was no one present. Just the car was there, and that was at ten minutes to ten, and he wrote the ticket. And uh, he said he stuck the ticket on the windshield. So how it got in between the car seats. I have no idea, and no one to this day knows how it got there. But when we checked, the dispatcher at the police department, actually, Mufon actually investigated his case as well. Um, Gregory Avery, who was Louisiana State Director, was one of the ones involved in his case. When he called the, the police and talked to him about it, the cops said, no, that's what time was there. It was 10 minutes to 10. Uh, he was talking about what he had done and why he knew it was 10 minutes to 10, and he knew all the cameras. And, and, the, and uh, the camera, the computer, and his watch all said 10 minutes to 10, and the dispatcher has him calling in recorded at 10 minutes to 10 but like i said the the camera at the hotel has the car in the parking lot and them in the hotel room at 10 minutes to 10 and it has them leaving at 11 o'clock from there and then leaving from the, con the convenience store at 11 and driving to the beach which was like five minutes away so technically they were at the beach at 10 minutes after 11 but the cop gave them the ticket at 10 minutes to 10 amazing yeah, it is, and, and what do you what do you do with that? I mean, you're, you're like, well, that's impossible. Well, that's it's what it says is that you know the the disruption in time is much more elastic and much more bizarre than we had previously thought. I mean, that's my interpretation of it, is that their skills at manipulating time is much more profound than um, oh yes than oh, yes. than we can even begin to wrap our minds around in it in it in it, and I suspect that there's um you know little ripples of strangeness that would would occur there. It is. It's. 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 And you do get. You know, and that's how we find that every now and then. There's just. You know. They. They don't realize when they're looping memories sometimes, uh, what they're doing. Like um, the one where the couple was driving past and got in a big argument. Um, they had a big argument on the way to work. Well, guess what? They hadn't lived in that neighborhood in ten years and hadn't worked in that store in ten years. But they had had a fight ten years earlier, in that neighborhood on that store. But for some reason, when they drove through that time, well, they had been taken. That was the, the, the memory the Greys used. They looped the work memory thinking it was a safe memory, which it probably would have been if it wouldn't have been for the argument. The arguments would set it off because the argument was 10 years earlier. It was the exact same argument, just both of them, because they both got really mad at the time they were passing the store, and then they realized they were flashing back to a 10-year earlier argument. Well, that really triggered off some stuff after that. Uh, and once you realize it, for some reason, when your subconscious realizes the mistake, the memory starts flooding back. Um... So it's, it's, it's weird once you can break it, but finding it is almost impossible, Mike. I mean, I'm telling you, we're missing probably a ton more contactees now because of this. Um, a, a lot of them just are not knowing they're being taken. There's, there's no, no nothing that would even indicate that they're having an experience. You know, as far as they're concerned, they're being taken every morning, but they're driving to work. 
You know, they're they're getting their car, they're driving to work. That's like most people don't know. And this I, I this still cracks me up. When I ask an abductee, when did you get abducted? Were you in bed? Were you awake? What were you doing? Most contactees will tell you about 70% of the abductions happen when they're doing something. Working, going somewhere. A lot of them happen while driving. Uh, probably 40 to 50% of abductions happen while driving. Only probably 15 or 20% happen at bed, at home, at night. Uh, so, you know, it's an old wise tale when you hear them talking about, oh, all abductions, all abductees get taken while they sleep. No, that's not true. It does happen. But it ain't how it usually happens. They like to get you on rides because it's easier to cover memories. It's it's just way easier. Like you're going on a trip, you're driving somewhere, you know, and you're driving through the desert. So all they got to do is replay the desert scene through your head a few times. You don't know the difference. You think you've been driving through the desert even though you've been getting whatever done to you. Uh, it's an interesting way they do it now, and it makes like myself and everybody else in the fields research a lot harder to do. It also makes me a lot more skeptical about some of the new age stuff and some of the uh, peace, love, and lighters. Um, because frankly, it, it's just not what's, there's just no evidence for what's going on. And then there's, like I said earlier in the show, there's a thing about, they were here to save us. They're sure about doing a piss poor job about it. Yeah. And, and this is, this is very interesting because my set of experiences, my personal set of experiences, and I'm very cautious to use this term, but sometimes it feels like magic. Um, and I've had such strange synchronicities and I use the term magic. I'm kind of putting quotes around it because I, because I obviously know that it's not, you know, magic in the, you know, fairy tale kind of way. But the, the feeling I get when, when these things happen does feel like that, you know, like I feel like I've been confronted with something so outrageously bizarre. That's the first way that I'll, uh, you know, sort of articulate it in my head. And I think that's a, that's a very real human, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say frailty or failing, but but the fact that I would say it's magic or uh, well, just you know, really, that, that I would be very susceptible to fall into the love and light crowd. Well, you could say that, but I don't know. You, you seem a little bit more intelligent than that. So saying it's magic is probably simply the fact that there is no technological terms to put it in that we understand. Um, you know, it, it's it's trying to compare, like like when we were talking about the greatest craft earlier. There's no real way to put that into human terms. Uh, I mean, we don't have craft that can be grown. We don't have things that you can directly interface with. That's not technologies we're going to have for, hell, a thousand years probably. Uh, well, probably sooner than that. But still, I mean, it's not technologies that we have right now. Or being able to swap bodies, it's not technologies we possess. It's technologies we're looking at and trying to, to develop. But and it's not show up in science have. fiction, I will also add, which I think yeah. is also something that I pay attention to just because I should feel like people, science people are tapping into the collective whatever well, you know and coming up with ideas that that then will be wow but you see you might you might be thinking about that a little bit on the wrong way how many of these sci-fi writers are abductees that's an, and i'll also say how many of the abduction researchers are abductees and how many of the you know in our organization a lot are but they uh but you know we we we, we pride ourselves on half our staff as, as contact the abductees but that's intentional uh, we really want that many. Because for me, Mike, if, if I'm going to go out there and do abduction research, I want a guy next to me, okay, he's not a contactee, he's going to be asking certain questions, but I want an abductee there because, or a contactee there, because contactees, as soon as they walk in the room, they're going to pretty sure have an idea if you're a contactee or not. Uh, and then they're going to ask the appropriate questions from that point forward. They're not going to be beating around the bush looking for questions. They're going to go, oh, well, no, 
this empathic contact just happened. I know this person's a contactee. Let's just go to stage two and just screw stage one. Um, and that's really the advantage to having a contactee and the researcher with the researchers uh, or as, as a researcher because they have to be trained as researchers too. We, we want them doing things specifically. Matter of fact, right now we're in, a, in the middle. Of, oh, this is nightmarish, by the way. Um, I decided I wanted a couple of new forms uh, for the abduction researchers. Not, not so much for the abductees. I'm happy with those, but I really wanted something for the researchers, stuff that they can share amongst each other and keep inside the database. <laughs> I should have never asked for this, man. <laughs> this is turning to be a nightmare project. Uh, it started more arguments than you can even believe. Huh, okay, I could see that, yeah. Hey, so how, this is—it's been going on for a little over two hours. How are you doing? We should—I feel like this is—we should. Uh, well, we, well, we got Well, we only got to get because I got to be somewhere. Actually, I could have done another hour with you, but I actually got to be somewhere. I promised somebody I'd come see him at four. So good. Well, just so you know, every like I've got—I you know, still got like three hundred questions I want to ask you. And uh, but anytime, I mean, you can scare you. See, I like the way you're doing the interview. I tell people you don't have to agree with me. You don't even—you know—ask questions. Don't be scared. I'm not going to bite. Yeah. Any? Well, I might bite, but still, you know, you can ask. I don't mind. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I've had, you know, when I've done the coast to coast interviews, uh, I expect to be held to the seat and some hosts do it, some don't. And, and, and I'm going to tell you this yeah. now, it, it's a much better interview. Uh, cause my wife is just sitting here. She's saying, no, it's going to be a good interview because of the questions being asked. It's, um, it's a much better interview when you slow me down and make me explain what I'm talking about. It's better because I can say it all day long. And, and a lot of people will just take it for that. They'll just take it. And say, okay, well, yeah, because he did the research. But or I'd they'll dismiss people, you outright. Or it's they'll just dismiss too crazy. you outright. Or they will. So I prefer when people ask. Uh, and uh, some people do, some don't. I don't. I don't really know why. Why it's different. But you know, like when I was like like the Betty and Barney Hill thing, and I'll and I'll leave this with that. You know, when when I was talking with George, he told me that night, oh no, you will never change my mind about this case. And sure enough, you know, but that's from doing real research and and, and really understanding what was being said, and not just trying to write a book and make some money off of it. And let me ask you this. You've read enough about Betty and Barney Hill. Who do you think was the contactee there? Well, I have I'm putting some, you on the spot, I, mean, I know. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, what I would say is that um, uh, I'm going to choose not to answer just because I've talked no, to some folks. No, that's cool. Barney was the one that was seeing the psychologist. He was the one that had experiences when he was overseas. He was the one that had to go see the shrink when he was with the post office because he was having these wicked nightmares of things coming in his room, not Betty. Um, I just found it interesting that everyone missed that Barney was the one seeing a psychologist on a regular basis before for years. Before the whole thing took place. Before it happened, yeah. He was the one having those wicked dreams, not her. And it's not that she might not have been a contactee. I think in Betty's case, she wanted it so bad that she exaggerated a lot of stuff. I think in Barney's case, he wanted to forget it so bad that he left out a lot of stuff. Uh, but Barney does seem like if you go by what contactees tell you today, how they feel, you know, what kind of stuff goes through their head, what kind of problems they have, she wasn't having them, but he was. So, you know, I, if for me as a researcher, I'd have to pick him. If I was going to go by popular myth or lore, I would pick her because everybody said aliens used to visit her all the time. Uh, matter of fact, it's on the video at the X conference I did for Stephen Bessett. It's part of the, the, uh, the speech I gave, part of the lecture I gave. It's in the uh, back side of it. I actually got into it in depth. Uh, and, and see, I don't mind being challenged because we do really, really, really good research that is really, really, really hard to argue with. Uh, when I presented the Betty and Barney Hill case, that's why Kathleen and Stanton Frieden left it alone publicly because you weren't going to argue with what I was saying. Uh, the research was too solid. I used the Hill's own stuff to prove my case. 
I use Kathleen stuff and the Hill stuff to prove my case. And uh, it's, it's, almost, it's almost airtight uh, because of the way things were written and what was said. And I used Betty and Barney Hill's own voice, more importantly. And one of the things when I was doing it, I actually played it back uh, so everybody could hear them talking about the thing in Canada and stuff like that. Uh, that was very important. That was, that was such a blown opportunity for this case. Uh, to know they were abducted in Canada really explains what really went on in the United States. They might have been one of the first Milab cases. And yeah, and, and this is this is once again this is stuff that's gone on so long ago that I'm I'm you know I'm less yeah, interested in that what, and more interested in stuff it? that's going on right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And what are you really going to do with it? Is it going to really make any difference by changing the case? No, it's not. It's not going to make any difference. It's not going to change anybody's mind. Either you're going to agree with us or you're going to agree with Kathleen. And it doesn't matter though because it's not going to change anything in the field. Uh, it's an alternative explanation for a case, which there should always be. Uh, because, you know, frankly, a lot of times there is alternative explanations for things. Uh, and like in your case, the best thing to do for you is not to try to prove what happened to you. It, it's more important to prove what didn't happen, meaning that, well, was this a ghost? Well, no, I can rule out that. Was this a demon? Well, no, I can rule out that. Was this the government? Can you rule out that? It's a psychological aberration, which is actually yeah. one of the things I have been dealing with is, yeah. is like, you know, I, and I'm not exaggerating there. I went through a period of time. Uh, 2005, 2006, where I bet you I walked around, spent 90% of my time, like in a, in this like closed tape loop, where I would just try to figure out like, am I insane? Am I making this up? Am I like fabricating yeah. this for my own like you know like? And see, see, so you saying that? I expect to hear that from contactees. I really do. I expect to hear that. If I don't, I'm a little bit suspicious. At one point or another, almost every contactee goes through that. You know, am I making this up? Am I dreaming this? Is this in my head? Am I just freaking nuts? Uh, you know, did I do too many drugs when I was young? Because a lot of contactees are prone to drug addiction of some kind or another, alcohol abuse, things like that. Probably about 40% or so. Uh, but I got to say this, most of them that find us or find another group tend to get off the drugs and alcohol. So, you know, that's interesting. Oh, I can tell you that. I've, got, I've actually got letters where people say we saved their life. Uh, they were so far down into drugs and alcohol, finding out that they weren't insane. Uh, matter of fact, now they say their lives turn their lives around. So I love getting letters like that. I, I really do. <laughs> that is phenomenal stuff for me. It means I'm actually making a difference. Oh, before we go, I wanted to tell you something about the coffee can thing. Man, I meant to tell you this at the beginning of the show. Now, not so much the you, So you saw, the, you saw the, the illustration that I drew. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to talk about. The coffee can itself, I have heard the coffee can description more times than I, I can even believe. But yours is only the second time I heard the stick thing on the top of it. Uh, I don't know what that means, but the coffee can thing, I've, literally, it's some kind of probe or some kind of thing that shifts time and matter or something. But um, Now, no, here, I'm going to say something now. Now, the mm-hmm. coffee can thing very much might have been a hologram. And I say that awesome. because, because even, I mean, this, is, this memory is going back well over 30 years now. Um, my memory of it is that it somehow seemed like it seemed too hyper real to be real. You know how sometimes you look at a computer generated cartoon, you know, like the and and something's just a little too sharp and a little too clean and a little too shiny or something. Yeah. That is my memory of it. And I remember and I I said this it rotated in a way that was too smooth. Well, the reason I was bringing it up is cuz the old coffee cans we always thought were probes, but a little young contactee told me one time, she says, Joe, no, they're a cover memory. I was like, what do you mean? Like the deer and the owl and the, I was like, and I, I had never, 
honestly even thought about that. That's, that's what I say. The damnedest things come from the damnedest places. It's like somebody sent this little kid to tell me this. It was so weird. Uh, I'm like, really? And then ever since then, I've only heard it. I haven't, I haven't heard it in any new cases. I mean, in any recent time. So, so I guess here, that, that coffee can memory or the, the report you had where you said it also had a stick poking out the top. You know, when was that reported? Do you remember? Oh, my, uh, my event took place in 1974. Um, it would have been around the same time Travis Walton uh, was being somewhere between 73 and 76. That's uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it could be. I, I would actually have to go look to find out. But um, it was somewhere around there because I know when I was talking to them, they were talking about they had heard about Travis Walton, but they had already seen this thing in the sky when they did it. Uh, and then many, many, many other people have described these coffee cans. It could be, it really could be just a cover memory to let you know you were either dropped off or picked up. Or it well, could I just was be a in a house with, a bunch that, with I another mean, boy, and it was far away, and, and I don't sense that that was the, the case. Because what we did after seeing is we ran downstairs and drew it. Yeah. See, that's the thing. There's no really way to put this on, on what it actually is. Um, it, it could be a probe. It could have been like a delivery system. Because some people think, and, and I'm not 100%, I don't have enough evidence to, to say for sure, but some people seem to think that they send out these, these orbs or these cans or whatever, and it sets up a thing that allows them to open a portal between the two locations so that they don't have to fly a craft. And that's why they say you don't always see craft over cities because there's no need for it. They can bring this thing in and put it over like your backyard or your house and open a portal right there. Uh, and a lot of times, it, it, the only people that will notice them is contactees. You know, i got to be honest with you about this. I mean, I've always said this. It's not something I'm just starting with now. I do think that people who see UFOs are contactees. I don't think the random population sees UFOs. So, so Bud Hopkins uh, saw a UFO when, in the early 60s? Oh, yeah. I have no doubt that Bud's an abductee. So not you say that. Bit. I've heard other people say that, too, and Bud does yeah. not say that. Because um, cause he, don't, he didn't want to admit to it himself. But like I told you earlier— so here I'm going to jump in. Richard Dolan uh, said he saw a very bright uh, light that was that was much brighter than anything he'd seen in the in the sky, um, you know, from the parking lot of a grocery store. Well, he might have, but I see too. In Richard's case, it could have been something else. It could have been, you know, uh, 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 but that's the thing. In Bud's case, though, he he pretty much describes uh, an alien craft, and I, and I really think that's what it was. Richard, it's possible. You, you got to remember, I doubt there's many people in this field that haven't had experiences. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that E.T. just randomly lets, because if that was the case, there would be much more UFO sightings. Because let's be honest, I mean, the, the New York City sighting, I mean, not New York City sighting, the Mexico City sighting in, what is it, 95, 96, one million people saw this. Mexico City is also the largest city in the world with the most abduction reports of any city in the world. And one million people saw this UFO hovering over the city, but there's 22 million people there. Why did another 21 million see it? New York City just two years ago, uh, what, 10,000 people see a UFO in a city of 8 what million? That, what was that, the 10,000 people seeing a UFO in New York City? Yeah, that was, that, that was uh, oh, wait, there was just a recent case where uh, I think uh, five or 600 seen that, that balloon or whatever that thing was, everybody said it was. Why didn't the rest of the people see it? Now, the balloon story is very interesting, and, and the balloon story took place October 13th. Yeah. And there's a big argument over that story, too. Man. Which I think is interesting because there's a lot of conflicting evidence, and I've, I've done a little bit of research into that and, and sort of mused over the details of that. One of our directors seems to think that uh, uh, most everybody I talked to seems said they were balloons. 
But then somebody said that there was looks like there might have been two different things going on. I haven't had a chance to talk with Lily about it, but I'll ask her next time I see her because she, she does the New York stuff up there. And then Bill Hussingen and him are up there as well, too. He definitely thought, Bill also definitely thought they were balloons, and he's a pretty good investigator himself. And, and there is lots of evidence that there were balloons. Now there's But also then there was something else seen. Yeah, they, I was going to say that. There was something else that I seen that did not look like balloons. Uh, but I don't know if that was a hoax or if that was legit. I, I don't know. You know, that's a and problem. There were definitely hey. balloons released that day. Big clusters of yep. yellow balloons were released early in the morning. Now, a few things that are strange: that all the reports were showing up at the corner of Twenty Third Street and Eighth Avenue, and I don't know why that was. It was just that was where the film crews were going. Why that corner? I mean, mm, New York weird. City is a great big place. And it then is. also, um, and this is real easy to do. I just Googled this and looked it up. I heard it reported. Um, all the airports have a centralized place where they have the radars. And the radar building was closed down for a short period during that day and because someone smelled gas. They smelled gas, they closed the place down, they evacuated the building, they went in, they realized there was no gas there. A lot of people were reporting military flights above New York City that day. So a lot there so there's anomalous things that make it make it it's very easy to dismiss the balloon thing outright because there were there were balloons. Uh, release. There's some video footage that is obviously balloons on YouTube. And then there's some footage that's a little more curious. Hey, this is Mike. I'm chiming in during the editing. I just wanted to tell listeners that I did what I consider an excellent podcast with Christopher Knowles about the balloon sighting uh, on uh, 1013 on October 13th of 2010. And that audio podcast is posted on October 21st, 2010. Uh, if you find this stuff interesting, that one's great. Uh, uh, typical of when you start talking about UFOs and such, uh, we jump um, right along and we start talking about the meaning of God, which is kind of normal in these realms. I'm going to say that is a recommended, and it's also really popular. That one gets listened to all the time. I'm going to say this is a recommended audio podcast to listen to uh, just because you get to hear Christopher Knowles go at it, which I think he's great at. He's he's so skilled at just riffing on this stuff, and uh, it's entertaining and informative. Uh, so if you're interested, search it out, and I hope you enjoy. Back to the interview. There's some video footage that is obviously balloons on YouTube. And then there's some footage that's a little more curious. Yeah, um, I, it's, I, I really don't know. But I, like I said, I leave that for the, the local directors. Yeah. I, don't, I don't step on their toes and that stuff. And if our local directors actually say that's what it's going to be, then that'll be the organization stance they'll take now. If that changes or if somebody says something different or we learn something different, then, of course, we'll change that. You know, We'll put out a statement saying, no, uh, due to new evidence, we don't think that's what it is anymore. Uh, but I don't. Hey, let me ask you this: Mufon's been around for thirty-six years. Have you ever heard Mufon correct anything? I don't follow Mufon. No, but, but 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 they're pretty public, and I've asked this to even their own directors. I said, "Have you ever heard them correct anything? Have they ever said they've made a mistake or or done something wrong?" Well, uh, you know, I have never. You know, I I haven't followed them, and I've never heard that. So. And and I use them as a as a as a, a, a an example, but it's not just them. Go through the major researchers in the field and see how many of them have said that they've made a mistake. Uh, Bud Hopkins has, I can tell you that. He said on two occasions that I know personally, oh, no, uh, that's not what I think anymore. Um, so that's a good thing. But besides him and us, not so much. Um, maybe one or two other researchers that I know, but um, like Mary and Yvonne. But other than that, not so much. Uh, everybody just seems to say that's how it is. It's, and then you got this new thing, and i got to get out of here, but I'm going to say this real quick. There's a new movement going on that's making me a little nervous. 
I call it the Billy Myers movement, where we're getting contactees. Um, right now, I've got one on almost every continent, or actually probably about two on every continent, and they think only their abduction is correct. Nothing else. They're like the Messiah or something. Uh, the bad part is they are keywording, so it does sound like they've been abducted, but they have lost their minds is all I can say. They or, really do. They think like they're something has been coming. projected, you know, like, I mean, this oh, is, yeah. Oh, yeah. something has been projected into their subconscious, their psyche, I don't know how to say it, you know, but some, something has been downloaded into them that makes them want to say that. Yeah, and you got to wonder what that is. And then, then you do have to stop and think, is this some kind of government program? Uh, just to blow smoke up everybody else's butt to make all of us. Because you haven't noticed, Mike, there's a lot of good contactees. Even even someone like yourself who hasn't even learned what you are yet would still have made a better guess than most of the contactees I see them bring on to these so-called NBC, ABC, CNN specials. Uh, they find the nuttiest contactees you can possibly Absolutely. find. Absolutely, and then when the when the film crew shows up at the at the uh, UFO conference, you know it gravitates straight to the lady with the you know the nutty lady oh, in the yeah. corner with the dealy boppers in her hair and selling the the alien head candles. They uh, yeah, I mean it's it's just crazy stuff. I mean the the whole thing is just crazy. But I, I don't worry about it anymore. I, I try to. Just say, okay, y'all stay over here and I'll stay over here. I got enough research of my own to get done. And like I said, we don't ever rule out anything completely, but, but well, not, not exactly true. Some things we do, but um, we're going to always, you know, stick to the criteria of what we do. And then, like I said, like with the Charles Hall's case, if something presents enough evidence, like the brown aliens, and the last aliens I'm going to talk about, I'm going to get out of here. The little brown aliens that look like little old guys, these are the scariest damn aliens they're, they're only like four foot tall, and they scare the living daylights out of me. They say they, they, they call them the cleanup crew. That's what they call them. Anytime there's a mistake or an accident, these are the guys that come in. And from what way people explain them, they actually are flesh eaters. Flesh like cannibals? Yeah, like, like, not like cannibals. Like, I mean, not just us, by the way. Anything. Anything that might have been did or, or left behind or, or – and, and some people say it might even be more than just flesh. It may also be material stuff. I have no idea. I've never encountered them personally. I hope I never do. Um, but we do have about 200 cases of these where contactees were present when these guys were brought in to remove uh, hybrid stuff that had gone wrong or other things, that, other programs that may have gone wrong. They actually t- and, and when the contactee was asking the gray or the other alien about it, they said, oh, no, that's what they do. They're the cleanup crew, and they will um, digest them, and it will be done and over with. Um, it, it, it's and dude, they're scary looking. They, they, everybody says they're they're like they're like shrivelly old men. They look like they're like two hundred years old because they got so many wrinkles and and stuff on their faces and shit. And they're brown, not blue. And they're brown. They're brown. Yeah, they're 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 like chocolate brown. Uh, I was gonna say shit brown, but like chocolate brown. Um, so it's it's, I've heard enough descriptions of them to bring them into the case study, and that's as much as I can say because frankly, we don't have any more information. Anything more than what I just said is sheer speculation. It's bad enough what we're talking about is only based on maybe 100 or 125 reports. Uh, like when you hear me talk about the Greys, usually that's based on a couple of thousand reports. When you hear me talking about these guys, oh, no, this is based on maybe 100 or 115 reports. Uh, and some of that, even that, I would consider to be quite skeptical evidence in itself. So uh, take it with a grain of salt. It is there. There are reports, and there's enough reports to have it entered into the data but not enough to really come to any hardcore conclusions other than the fact that what, what has been told to these contactees. Uh, and that's what that comes down. And see, that's another thing that needs to be distinguished a lot of time when we're talking about this. 
Sometimes we're simply talking about what is being told to contactees. It's not research. It's not anything else. And, and I'm, that's where I'm super skeptical because that's like Santa well, Claus at the, be, at the yeah. shopping mall says he comes from the North Pole. You know? have, we know they lie, so you've got to be skeptical. Yes. That's like yep. when they say they're from the Pleiades. That's very nice, you know, that people yeah. say they're from the Pleiades. But um, this, you know, we don't have any way to check that. We can't go to the well, Pleiades. No, this is actually quite easy. Let, let's look at this a different way. Um, here's an alien race visiting the planet, okay? They don't speak English. There is no known word for their solar system in our language. But they could, if, they, if they're as telepathic as they claim to be, they can just reach into our brain and pull out the appropriate word. Well, but it wouldn't be the appropriate word because their system isn't named the Pleiades system. They would actually tell you the name of their home system. That's what the Greys do. They tell you the name of their home system, which is nothing that's even in our language. I don't even think it, the only three people I've ever even heard try to say it. I couldn't even understand what the hell they were saying. Um, it's highly unlikely that there's going to be any star systems that they're going to name the same names that we name them. Well, but they would, okay, but, but someone arrives here, they, they're from Germany, they would say, they wouldn't say, I'm from Deutschland, which is exactly how they would pronounce it in their own language. They would say, you know, greetings, I'm from Germany. And uh, they would they would simply just need to, to have a knowledge of our language, which I suspect they could get somehow. I mean, all their powers, they would be able to know uh, that we have a star system called the Pleiades, and that star system is all wrapped up in ancient mythology, and they would be able to pick that out of our of our own collective inner workings. Well, yeah, or make it understood and, 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 in our, you know, through And something. that's another really important thing, since they don't, transmit it in a, in a verbal form. And this is really important, and this is something we should have brought up earlier, but this is really important. When E.T. is, is talking to you, they talk to you, it's, it's like it's being pumped directly into your head. It, it, some people say it's it, images. No one ever says that they're hearing anything, but a lot of times they say they just sense it and they know it. This is the problem with this. You have to interpret this. It's like, okay, let me put it this way, Mike. I'm beaming a cup with something inside of it to you. Now, what does this mean? Is, am I telling you that's a half a cup of coffee? Is that a cup of water? Am I talking about the cup? Am I talking about the fluid inside the cup? What is it that I'm actually trying to get across to you? Well, you have to, you have to interpret that. You have to try to understand what the alien is sending to you. You have to interpret that. So, yes, there's a lot of mistakes made. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of mistakes made in this because I don't think E.T. always transmits what they're thinking right and I think the humans definitely screw it up when they're trying to figure it out. Uh, and I would agree to that. And I would agree to that. And I think that, know, the, so. that the transmission that comes through often comes across, you know, much more, uh, I almost want to say, mythological. Oh, yeah. I agree with that 100%. It really is. And that, that's why it's so important to learn keywording and things like that because you've got to look for commonalities. There are a lot, by the way. I mean, you'll be amazed how many commonalities there are in contact research. I mean, it's, it's amazing even to me. Um, but, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough. No doubt. No doubt. And, and this is, I mean, you know, that we're, 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 you know, you and I, you're doing it on one grand level and I'm doing it on a deeply personal level, are trying to look into these uh, oddities, these, these oddities that are somehow intersecting with, with very real people. But we, this is important to remember this. You are where I started, okay, whether it was 20 years ago or 25 years ago. You are where I started. When I listen to you talk, you're asking the questions I used to ask. I've simply moved on because I've gotten a lot of answers for those questions these days. But it's important for everyone to know you have to start and you have to do it yourself. You really do. You can come listen to me or any other researcher there is and you can shortcut. But you still really need to go back 
and say, why is this guy saying this? Or why is that guy saying this? Or why is this girl saying this? And how does it pertain to me? Can I use this? Can this help me? And, and it's really what it's about. And, uh, and, and you sound like you're well on that course, so I don't think you anything to worry about there. But yes, I'm getting off. I see you coming, woman. Okay, I should let you go. Um, yeah, hey, this let, has been great, and I, I'll I'll, uh, I'll make sure to um, get a hold of you when this is posted up online, and it's going to be long. Uh, anyway, when it gets up, let me know it's up, and uh, get it. And when I'm done, a uh, couple of weeks, we still got 14 weeks left on the abduction stuff. But when I'm done, I'm gonna have you on, and I'm gonna probably bring on somebody else that's case kind of parallels your own, and uh, let y'all get a feeling of it together. Uh, uh, we do this a lot. We'll bring on people who are having parallel cases or we'll bring on researchers that are working on cases such as your own with you. Um, okay, and once again, you know, like I'm no fooling, man. I am I am super cautious to try to define what's it. going on to me because cause I just don't right. have the direct memory or the direct you, experience. You should never let anybody – look, look. Some don't people let, do, man. I've, I've had like – you know, I've had researchers laugh I'm at me. Not, I'm not going to tell you a contact you on abductee. I'm, I'll tell you from what I've read so far. It's a good possibility that you're having what we would consider standard contact and going through the awakening experience. I will tell you that, but can I, at this point, tell you that 100%? No. I, I, you, you have to be a lot more information. After I listen to you with Trees and, and like we do an interview and some other stuff and we get into some more specifics, because there was stuff I was thinking about I wanted to ask you about some of your other experiences when I was reading them because uh, I wanted a little bit more detail out of them. Um, but still... Uh, then maybe I might say, yeah, Mike, it looks pretty bad, dude. You're looking like you and might. believe me, it, I mean, I, I'm not unaware of that, 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 that very real possibility, yeah. but I just, without, without the direct experience, without the direct memory, like I just, I just, it does, it feels and dishonest. Then, and then there's some other stuff. Where are you at in Florida? Idaho. I'm in, I'm in Idaho. 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 That's right. I forgot two it. days ago here. Yeah. You're, you're, you're Idahoian. Yeah. Uh, I used to call D Miss Idaho all the time. <laughs> she's furious. Cause you know, she's from Idaho. And so is, and that, so is a bunch it, of people. Yeah. So oh yeah. 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 Linda Moulton House from Idaho. Yeah, 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 she was Miss Idaho, Linda Moulton Howe, which, by the way, Dee and her have a sore spot of that. <laughs> I always think that's funny, but um, I don't know why I was thinking of using Dee in Florida. Damn, I was trying to think no. of it. it. Yeah, once Dee left uh, Idaho, we never put another director up there. I don't know why either. Uh, well, that's kind of weird. Now I'm going to have to check into that shit. I'm, I'm about five miles, or excuse me, I'm about two miles from the Wyoming border. She's, uh, I don't know what the hell... Well, I'm going to have to check into that because we definitely don't have a director up there. I'm going to have to find out what's going on with that. Because uh, when she came down to Arizona, when she married David, you know, she moved down to Arizona and took over uh, as national director and uh, southwest regional director. She's got a dual role down there. And uh, I thought we were going to sign somebody up and then uh, we didn't. I wonder what happened. <laughs> well, we wouldn't have done that. I don't know. I'll figure it out. But anyway, Mike, I enjoyed myself. I had a good time, man. Just let me know when it's up and I'll, uh, when, you, when it's coming up, I'll plug it on the show so everybody will know where they can go find it and stuff like that. These are the kind of shows most of the audiences want to hear. That's why yesterday's show has already got a uh, – where was it? I was going to just tell you that before I left out of here. What did I do with it? Oh, you're yeah. checking statistics? Yeah. It got, uh, so far it's got 73 plays since last night and 4,800 downloads. Um, that's just in what? That's the one uh, that, where you did the interview with uh, with Therese last Therese. night, yeah. So Hirsch. Just, just from what, 10 o'clock last night, it's already gotten 73 plays and 4,800 downloads. Ah, so okay, you're getting a lot more hits. Well, I mean, obviously, you're, I mean, I'm getting, you know. But by the end of the week, watch, it'll have like, uh, it'll be like 1,500 plays and probably somewhere in the uh, 15 to 75,000 downloads uh, just in, in one week, uh, which I love that. that that's just phenomenal. It kills me some months, but it is fun. We burn less. We're burning a million mags a 
Well, last month we burned 2 million megs of bandwidth on archives. Just boom, in less than 21 days. And I was like, damn, that's a lot of download, man. <laughs> that's a lot of download. It, it, especially since the archives are only 20 megs, <laughs> that's a lot of download. Uh, and it don't exactly work that way, too. It's a different way they do it and measure it, but still, it's interesting. But anyway, Mike, I had a great time. If I don't get out of here, I'm going to be in trouble. <clears throat> Good. You go. I'll talk to you right, soon. Man. All right. Take it easy. No, yeah, good. I had a great time. Thanks. Bye now. Bye-bye, man. Whew. That, that was a long interview, and a lot of good stuff got shared. Uh, and then, once again, I'm going to repeat myself. i got about a 1,000 more questions I want to ask the guy. The interview clocks in at just a little bit less than three hours here. I edited some stuff out. Some of it we got into some personal stuff and some stuff that he asked me to edit out, which I did. But collectively, I'm really impressed with the, the amount of information we, got to, we managed to cram into this, this interview. I did a previous post in March of this year, which is noted on the show notes. And in that post, I feel like I give some feedback or some criticism to Joe uh, in, in you know public forum in the blog and uh, and I was serious you know I, this guy has a way of oh man he just says so much stuff and I just I guess uh, you know I just um, I, I feel like I, I should have interrupted more I should have asked for more clarification to ask where he got this data um, I did it some maybe not enough but um, you know I, I did the best I could and I, and I feel like you know it went well uh, he, here's a little odd thing I don't know did you notice at the end uh, Joe was sounded like he was fishing a little bit for an Idaho director for ICAR uh, right at the very end there he goes he kind of like muses in this way that I was kind of trying to read between the lines like is he going to ask me to play the role of like uh, you know some sort of ICAR investigator for the state of Idaho um, hard to say I'm not sure what the future will bring but um, if you've made it this far Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed it. Bye now. Down in New Orleans where the blues were born It takes a cool cat to blow a horn On the south and Rampart Street The combos play with the mambo beat The mighty ground mambo, mambo, mambo Mighty ground mambo, mambo, mambo down in New Orleans In great town where the cats saw me It's the mighty ground mambo with the beat Child and chief with the Zulu king And truck on down with the mambo swing The mighty ground mambo, mambo, mambo Mighty ground mambo, mambo, mambo Mighty ground mambo
okay maybe that was totally corny but i stuck in some uh, new orleans music and that was uh, the hawkettes bye now <laughs>